Yeah, uh, these things are a little bit more complicated than I thought. I, uh... Yeah, it's really difficult to do that without uh, looking at data, so... Like, our, our attitude is that we're, we're data-driven. Hey everybody, today I've got uh, one of the bigger, biggest math wizards, at least in my opinion, in the poker world, or, or was in the poker world. He wrote, co-wrote the book Mathematics of Poker, which was quite an important book back in the day. It's one of the few poker books that I had ever read about poker that introduced more of the mathematical side of things which people aren't necessarily familiar with these days because they use the Sims simulations and all that stuff. And he's, uh, he also is actually a pretty good poker player, too. He's won over $2 million in tournaments, um, or $2 million roughly, according to Hendon Mob. Uh, now he's moved on to other things. He's a quant at a, uh, um... What would you call it, actually? It's Susquehanna uh, International Group. I understand right, that. Right, right. Uh, I, I would call us a trading firm. Now, uh, a lot of people use the, the term, you know, hedge fund, and we're similar to a lot of uh, uh, different hedge funds, but, you know, uh, we really don't have outside investors. The partners uh, no. invest their own money, but uh, we're no, a trading okay. company. We're, so we're like the biggest options trading company, and we're involved in all forms of uh, in, in the uh, finance world. Um, oh, really? Oh, nice. I did not know you're part of the biggest now. options company. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. Uh, and now we're I understand. the biggest market huh? maker in options. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, so, uh, Bill Chen for the Susquehanna. Um, international group guys uh and you do a lot of stuff with sports betting which we'll talk about in a bit i would like to talk about uh mathematics and poker for a while my audience is mostly poker um can you talk about uh, how you got into poker in the first place and what led up to the creation of this book yeah in, in terms of poker um i i really started playing well you know i played in college and uh went to Washington University in St. Louis and, you know, found, found that the games were uh, pretty beatable there. We, we, we had a game like once every couple of weeks in our dorm, uh, Lee dorm there. Uh, when I came to California, uh, I found out there were card rooms. So I started playing, you know, probably spent too much time. I went to grad school at UC Berkeley and then I met up with uh, this crowd called uh, Barge for Big August Red Gambling Excursion and I think a lot of like the old time uh, uh, there were a lot of people that uh, were also in that group you know my co-author Jared Ankeman, uh Andy Block uh, who we still work with uh, Jay Sipplestein who was who part of uh, Sig uh, re recruited me from one of these meetings, so that that's how I, I got into poker. Um, I uh, you know uh, started uh, talking to Jared. Uh, we we had uh, 
we, we got some ideas together. I was supposed to write uh, a book called The Mathematics of Poker with uh, a person named Andy Lotto, um, but you know, we spent like three years on it, really didn't get anywhere. Um, then, you know, it was a good idea for uh, Jared and I to write the book. Now, uh, I think the book that we wrote had a lot more like game theory and uh, stuff like that than uh, the book that we were originally gonna write. Like the book we were gonna originally write would, would be like more math concepts like bankrolls and uh, odds and that type of stuff. But I think uh, it, it turned out we delved into game theory a bit. And, you know, I, I think these were the concepts we used to um, play poker. Um, you know, we started out playing a lot of the uh, online tournaments. Like Sunday was a big online tournament day. and. Both of us, like, uh, with uh, with another person, kind of uh, basically played all the tournaments on, on Sunday. Uh, this is why I was working at SIG. And uh, I think generally we played from, like, I think 3 or 4 in the afternoon to, like, 2 a.m. at night. <laughs> it was just another work day. And... Uh, I think we did pretty well, and then, you know, we started playing World Series events. Um, I'm still considering myself mostly a cash game player, because, it, you know, that, that makes more sense to me, you know, much more consistent uh, uh, wins, win rates, things oh, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. variants you can measure. Tournaments are but, pretty obnoxious variance-wise, yeah. Um, right, I mean, you have to play a lot of tournaments. Like, like if you play 50 tournaments a day, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the variance can't even out. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that being said, I remember while reading the book, uh, you did, there were a few pretty important things I personally learned that even to this day, there's like major discrepancies on, or at least people aren't necessarily considering. There's like a few concepts and limit where you like have these simple toy games and show how like certain results, if you just like thought about like the way that the results would play out using game theory, you could see what the best plays were, although people don't necessarily take this approach a lot of the time. Um, there's this one example that I specifically remember where we have the option in, in a tournament to uh, go all in with the uh, queens. Do you remember this example? By, ch by chance against uh, Ace-King. The guy flips over Ace-King, we have Queens. And something like the right. main event. Do, do you know about this one? Right, right, right. Where uh, you can go in and have like a you know, 56-44 uh, edge or whatever it is. But you can also call, see the flop. And you'll generally win on the flop. And uh, then you can have the option of going in. And... Uh, if you lose, if you happen to lose on a flop, which is only going to happen one out of three times, you can fold. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I believe. Uh, I, mean, I wonder if that example is in there too. But I was specifically thinking of the example of like call or fold at preflop, fold queens preflop to ace king, thinking that your ROI must be higher because you're in a really soft event. Does this ring a bell to right. you? 
and then you, and this, then... this was like all the rage uh, when we were playing tournaments, and my opinion is it's got to be a pretty soft event, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was basically what you guys came to the conclusion of. Uh, if I recall it correctly, basically, in order for you to sacrifice this kind of edge, it's actually kind of a big edge, 6 7%, um, it, you would have to have, like, 300-plus percent ROI. And all you guys did was, like, assume that you, like, kept getting it all in with this over and over and assume and check that ROI against... Um, and just see what the ROI of doing that would be if you just got it all in every single time with 56% equity. Um, I don't know if you remember this yeah, or not. Yeah, you doing is, pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you had 56% every single all in, you're like killing it, like really killing it. But uh, there's like major, there's just like wildly overestimated their edges with this whole concept of outplaying people and, and poker, as it turns out. Right. I mean, there's very, uh, I would say uh, there's not that much control in like tournament no limit. Uh, I, I do have to say it, it is a cool spectacle or, or it's, it's great to watch because like everyone can understand what's going on. Everyone sees what hand you have and like you, you, you have the stack sizes to often go all in in no limit tournaments. but. It is in kind of the lowest the common denominator in that you only play like one or two streets for real, you know, and, and you're always playing this like 20, 30 stack uh, uh, um, uh, you're always playing uh, uh, 20 or 30 big blinds. I mean, it, it's kind of like if you're very skilled at playing like I would say 20 to 50 big blinds, uh, you're going to be like a solid no limit tournament player, you know, and, and there are ICM considerations. I mean, uh, going with in, when in with the Queens, like really close to money with big money stacks or like super satellites, uh, if you know you're against ace king, uh, probably isn't right in some cases now because of the really like steep uh, steps into the money but yeah uh, yeah it's, it, it's really hard to it's really hard to get that much edge people play a lot more solidly 20 to 50 big blinds nowadays than they did uh, back when I wrote the book you know 2006 was like oh shit the, 2006 uh, the, 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 the time to play tournaments I I remember the, the No Limit event I won, and um, I think it was lucky for two uh, reasons. It was the day after the 50k uh, tournament started, so you eliminated like a hundred of the best players from the field. Now I busted early enough to play, I did play 50k also, I busted early enough to play that tournament, but um, kind of the skill level uh, there. Um, just isn't uh, what it is in terms of no limit today and the knowledge like the average player has and the tools the average player has of course yeah uh, now it's like really getting very very sophisticated I, uh, it sounds like you've been playing lately are you up to date with a lot of the software that's been out and all the kinds of resources that are available uh, no actually I'm, I'm, I'm not like uh, 
I actually still play a little bit of poker. Um, I played one event in the World Series this year. Um, uh, I, I play a little bit in Dublin. Um, in Dublin, Ireland, like in, in, in actually most of Europe, uh, the game is PLO. Um, you know, four card, five card, six card PLO, and uh, no limit. It's hard to get a mixed game. You know, especially a uh, mixed limit game. Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, you know, uh, PLO is one game that I didn't really learn how to play um, during my time in the States. So it, it's been kind of fun uh, learning it, uh, you know, in my spare time. But no, I haven't really uh, kept up with the, the tools and training. I think I tried a couple of... Uh, um, the tutorials and things like that. Um, they're, they're, they're just great resources in terms of like telling you ranges of hands. You know, it, it's all about like starting ranges of hands, what, what, what range uh, you want to bet with or continue with or semi-bluff with or, you know, uh, whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I remember... One thing that was very useful in the past and still is useful sometimes, or at least um, uh, toy games you can imagine or play on your head, uh, if you're like really getting serious, you'd, you'd run a couple, you would like play a couple out at least on paper just to see, or you, you could even put them through some of the software sometimes um, to find the answers to a number of different situations where you're trying to just figure out what the best possible option is. Um, trying to think of a good example. Uh, I mean, the ace-king versus queens example is a good one, just to show that you can't just like make big folds for seemingly close edges to, like, it's a, I guess that qualifies as a toy game. It's at least an example. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, uh, are there any toy games that you have found particularly useful for uh, teaching poker or learning poker that you remember? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are a couple of uh, things. I, I think that, well, one of the things is that um, in terms of split pot games, there is a toy game, uh, a couple of toy games we introduced. Now, uh, split pot games are uh, a little bit different. They're like the strength of your hand is two dimensional because you, you have uh, you, you have the strength of one hand and the strength of the other hand, and it's uh, kind of subtle uh, how to play it. You know, uh, people who play mostly kind of one direction hands uh, generally, you know, you try to put. Uh, the money in the pot proportional to how strong your hand is and if you just kind of do that and have a good sense of how much money you're willing to put in the pot like I'm gonna call instead of raise uh, or I'm gonna raise but if he raises I'm gonna fold or, or, or whatever you have a sense of how much you, you kind of want to put uh, given the strength of your hand um, that that's like I would say approximately right for one-way games for two-way game, uh, like you know, split pot games, it's kind of a more subtle 
like if you have the total nuts in one direction and nothing on the other board, you, you, you really want to just uh, kind of, uh, uh, you, you definitely don't want to raise people out of the pot. You, you know, if you get heads up, you're gonna um, only, you're not gonna win anything. Uh, sure. So that's, well, that might be like the same strength of hand as having like a good hand in both ways. Uh, you you, you kind of want to play those hands differently. Um, so I think that that's a little different. Uh, there are these things called bomb pots in, in PLO games now. So, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, about the bomb I, pots. So the double board bomb pots. What? What? The, du- yeah. the two board bomb pots are just one. Two board bomb pots usually you get to see the slop and, the, and, and then you play after that. Those yeah. are fun. I enjoy those. Um, uh, the other one is kind of the pot limit um, kind of toy games uh, we had. Like, um, you, you know, uh, the sense of making your opponent indifferent. Like, in, in order for him, like, not to bluff the pot on the river, you kind of have to... Uh, Make it, you you kind of have to call about half the time. Now it's not exactly half; it's like you know four ninths. But uh, you, you you know in the the continuous game. But these toy games just to show you like uh, how much you have to call so that your opponent can't just like bet and take advantage of you. You know. Sure, sure. Well, what you're referring to, um, we uh, I know a little bit about the application of math, well, theory to poker, uh, what you'd be called would be, what you're referring to now would be called minimal defense frequency. I mean, now we've got all these simulations and stuff to just straight up show what ranges we need to defend. Um, Exactly. They they take advantage of the card removal and everything. Like, um, for the game you're playing, you actually probably have to do a real sim for the game. I think that toy games just give us sort of an overall uh, sense of what to do. Um, like, if you're playing single draw low ball, uh, you know, the, uh, the bluff and betting is, like, similar, but the card removal is a little bit different and things like that. But uh, I, I like the toy games because I think that gives you kind of an overall foundation and then... Uh, obviously, if you want to become like a specialist in a game, you, you, you have to like do the hard work playing with the ranges. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example to illustrate this. But one thing I commonly do, I, I don't know what you'd call this in like a theory sense. It's it's not so formal. One thing I commonly do is I use examples from other games where the situations are uh, mitigated to to highlight how the situations would play out in games where the situations become more exacerbated. An example would be, here's a good example. So in uh, many games, equities converge multi-way, meaning that, meaning that uh, your equity actually goes down between, if, if someone else calls in the pot and you have a, a better price for the overall pot, but you're playing against three players, your equity usually goes down a lot of spots. I mean, there's exceptions to that rule, and that's not always the same in um, split pot games, especially where you're playing for half the pot. It's not true in limited weight or in study. Um, But one thing I often say is that 
you can see how it goes down really fast in like no limit. Um, when in limit, it's not at in limit hold'em. It's not nearly. No limit hold'em was the first example, but in limit hold'em, it's not nearly as exacerbated. You can find out the answer in limit hold'em pretty easily, um, or at least not that that difficult in a lot of those situations. Um, and then in RAS, you can't really find out the answer, but you can guess that equities converge super fast because RAS is a game where there's just not much playability unless you really get good cards. So if you know roughly what ranges look like in one of the games, you can extrapolate and say, okay, well, they have to be even tighter in Raz. Um, I don't think this exactly qualifies as like a toy game. I don't, I don't know what to call it. Something like analogical reasoning or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. Yeah, but. yeah, you're bringing together a lot of games and you're saying Raz is a little different because uh, if you have a bad hand in Raz, if you just have like one bad card, it's just so far away from the other, further away from the other hands than, than the other games. I, I think that's yes. what you're saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That principle applies more and more is what I'm saying to Raz. It applies the most, in fact, to Raz than in comparison right. to No Limit, Hold'em, or like Limit to 7, for example, which also applies. People don't, I mean, it applies kind of surprisingly so in Limit to 7. Um, but like knowing these kinds of things, you can, if you're trying to learn multiple games, you can use these lessons you've learned from other games to apply to similar situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the way I think about it is in Raz, you really need five good cards. <laughs> you know, you you can't just like have two cards in your hand and hit a set or something like that. You 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 really need five good cards to make a hand. That's that's why if you start off with like a king and a hole or a king up. Uh, I mean, obviously, a king and a hole you can still represent a good hand, but to actually have a good hand is is, is, is difficult. It's just one card that can't play, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I've actually thought about this: how the dynamics change if the hands are close uh, in in value versus the hands being far away in value, and. Uh, um, I, I think this is kind of a general concept. Uh, it, it's hard to me, for, for me to give like a concrete example, but understanding which games uh, hands are, are really close to value versus far away in value uh, is, uh, makes sense. Like PLO equities is like pretty ridiculous, right? Like any hand that kind of looks playable can't be more than like 64, 40%, can't be really worse than 40% against even a premium hand, right? So, uh, there the hands uh, run pretty close together, and, uh, um, you, you know, uh, since it, it, it would be kind of a boring game if it were limit, because you would just play content. <laughs> uh, no limit. Uh, you have to figure out how playable your hand is on the flop. Uh, you know, you can't just like get your equity because you, you could just be bet out. Uh, that's the one thing about limit games. Like, you, you, you can kind of, at the end, when the pots get kind of big, you can kind of just claim your equity because you always have the option of calling down, you know. 
So if your equity, is, if you feel against this range of hands, your equity is like 30%, you just call down. Because, like, you, you always have odds. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if that, if that makes sense. So you, 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 you kind of get your pot equity uh, in, in, in limit. That, that's why I like playing limit. Uh, it, it's in terms of, uh, you know, the mathematics of poker, in, in terms of the math, I, I guess I'm more comfortable with uh, limit uh, evaluating hand values, uh, like limit makes uh, more sense. Some people can't uh, evaluate hand values in terms of knowing whether their hand is, is, is good or not. And in, in, in limit, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that, that's uh, part of the skill. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, it, it, it makes some sense, yeah. I, uh, I mean, what I gather is it's pretty easy to, I, it's, it's pretty easy to have an effect way to, like, see a river and live it and not make huge mathematical mistakes other than folding. Um, yeah, if you find someone who folds a lot on limit, that's kind of the dream. Um, right. If you it's pretty, exactly. It's uh, like, the, yeah, it's hard to, the biggest mistake you could possibly make, really. Uh, so right, right. I, in limit, I think you just want to play hands in which, um, you know, uh, will usually turn into good hands through all the paths uh, you can take, you know. So sure. you have to judge, like, which hands are, like, pre-flop and on a flop. You have to judge which hands are good enough uh, such that through all, all the paths uh, you can take turn into good hands. Um, sure. In no limit, uh, it's really not good enough to make like a sixty percent or seventy percentile hand because you could be, uh, or even in pot limit, you could be uh, facing pot 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 bets. Like uh, the thing, like well, king high flush draws in PLO actually are good a lot, but. Uh, you, you never know when, like, you get bet or raise the pot, you know. The guy could, the guy has leverage. He could be doing it with just the bare ace or the ace high flush. So those hands lose a lot of value because you can't just call, like, limit bets, like, down to the river. Um, sure. So Have you ever done any, like, applied... Uh, math to any of the limit games or for some reason I had the impression that you you had made a number of toy games involving ICM although talking to you I'm not sure uh, uh, I, I think we tried to do it for like Jammer Fold for um, you know uh, I, uh, for, for like the sit and goes or ICM type tournaments but like uh, you know, uh, we came up with the heads up jammer fold uh, heads up table in, in, in our book, and I think oh, other yeah, people yeah. have extended that to multi way, and and then you can extend it to multi way ICM. Uh, you know, we try to do that, uh, but no, we haven't really done much uh, with ICM except. Uh, you know, we talked about the various different uh, tournament models in in the in the book. Like, 
in some terms, I don't know if ICM is near, is necessarily the best model because, like, if two people are kind of willing to go to war and you're third short stack, then you probably have an outsized um, chance at second. Uh, you know, e even if you only have like five or ten percent of the chips, it really depends on the game, right? Like, uh, if if the two people uh, if the hands kind of run close in value, the, 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 the two people may have to kind of go to war and uh, your chance for second may be higher than like uh, the ICM value for um, your short stack. So, yeah, we haven't really done much ICM uh, work. No, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, you guys were kind of like the OGs of, at least from my impression, you're like the OGs of you know, uh, putting a lot of this math, the poker math, like on paper and in like a book, like it was uh, the mathematics of poker was one of the first poker books that kind of dived into this subject of really applying game theory to poker, to my knowledge. And like one, probably just one of the first sources to actually put like charts on paper. I, do, I mean, I don't really know the history in detail. Uh, since then, I can tell you people have done really all kinds of things. The software's gotten very, very powerful. I'm like very impressed. And there's like quite a lot of subtlety to ICM I found too. People have quite a lot of, um, it's quite a lot of advanced charts now, but like, you know, that's Computers just what have gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, the guys at CMU who solved heads up limit hold'em uh, use like a thousand computer years or something like that to solve it. Uh, really? Obviously, they had the resources at CMU, but um, you know, computers a lot better, algorithms a lot better, <laughs> things like that. Well, can you so, talk about like the the methods you used back in the day to apply the math? Was it like a lot by hand? Um, I, no, I can't we did, even we recite computer uh, sims and things like that too. I mean, um, a, a lot of it was trying to figure out shortcuts to compress uh, the the problem. Like uh, you know, we we did some work on uh, ourselves on limit hold'em and triple draw, and the trees like have a trillion or quadrillion nodes. Uh, really? you, you just have to kind of make approximations that, okay, we, we consider like these two nodes to be the same. Like in triple draw, one of the shortcuts is you can just consider the cards you have in your hand and not necessarily the cards you discard. Yeah, but what if you start off with like three deuces or four deuces? Obviously, uh, that like makes it less likely your opponent has a deuce. Uh, in, in Deuce of Seven, so um, yeah, so so, but but also you try to find kind of the game theory equilibrium, and it's difficult because it, it, it is really like finding a needle in the haystack, and there there are a lot of different algorithms, uh, and really uh, you have to apply the right algorithm to the problem at hand, or the convergence could be one over root n. Meaning that if you want accuracy to like one big, uh, like one big bet or a tenth of a bit, if you want accuracy to a tenth of a big bet, it would take like a hundred times longer than accuracy to like one big bet. 
Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've noticed that. We've had the, the, uh, something like, I believe it's called the Law of Diminishing Returns. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good way to put it, yes. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely noticed a lot of that going on. Um, it gets harder a lot of it to... has to do with the card removal uh, surfaces. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, well, which hands you bluff with, um, uh, like, uh, it, it, like, I mean, there's card removal and hold them, but obviously induce a seven, uh, where, where you start with five cards and you draw cards, there's, there's a lot more card removal, and PLO, there's more card removal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty big in Deuce of Seven. Deuce of Seven, I had quite a lot of experience with. Um, I understand it's like one of the most mathematical games. I didn't think it was very much value for a lot of time. There were really big games running on full tilt with Gus Hansen and all these guys, and people played it heads up quite a bit. There was definitely some yeah. value in there, but it was very high variance compared to a lot of things in low edge. But I'm curious what it was like back in your day. Did you ever take your results and uh, uh, you know go to the tables and, and make some money with it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we did play the, the, the algorithms and things like that. I, I, I still feel that, uh, you know, Deuce to Seven play a good game. I think a lot of it was, I mean, sure, you can, the games are at least solvable, like, uh, in theory, heads up, right? Like, there is a game theory solution if the game starts heads up. But a lot of kind of uh, applying to toy games and thinking about it helps you multi-way, like, when you get heads up, you know, and multi-way poker hasn't really been solved by, by the bots yet. And um, some some games you can argue may not have a solution because the question is which uh, equilibrium is being played at your table, you know. Oh, like, I think we, you mean, huh? Yeah, like in, in in we gave an example, just a simple game where you either get an ace or a deuce, and um, for a particular like. If you're playing against like three ways, like against two two opponents, one opponent, like you guys get exactly the same cards, but one opponent always like uh, bluffs through you, uh, then you're basically hosed. Like you you have an equal position, uh, but uh, if if one opponent always bets and the other one like always just 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 plays uh you know straight up uh there's no way you can actually beat the game (laughs) really yeah if you i think we this was one example in the book this is was kind of eye-opening that even if like you're you're the best player want to play the best there's just some situations you 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 can't um like get your way out of yeah if you you play a three-way game where um, you know the only cards in the deck are the ace and deuce, and there's one round of betting, uh, and the guy you know to to your right always bets into you, and the guy to your left uh, you know will pick you off with an ace or uh, fold if he has a, a deuce. There's nothing you can do like uh, if like uh, it sounds if, like. Right. Sounds the like question is whether to call it a deuce or not, and 
uh, whatever you decide, you lose money. Uh, th- that was one of the results in the book. So, yeah. oh, well, there's the toy game we're looking for. Um, got one. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I think a- that, that that's kind of a, a lesson that you can't. Um, there's just some situations that, I, I mean, I guess you can change your seats and, 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 and try to get last position uh, over the guy that, like, bluffs, uh, like, just bets all the time. Uh, but, I guess the astute uh, person wouldn't, wouldn't know about that. Right. Or unless the other person's astute, they wouldn't necessarily know. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I try to... There's some, you know, there's some uh, big bet games where the guy is going to, like, just raise 80% of the time or something like that. And a lot of people, like, think intuitively, oh, I want position on that guy. I want to be first to act after him. But you almost want to be last to act after him, which means you want to give him position on you because he's going to do something predictable. Like, you probably are never going to raise yourself. You're just going to... The hands you want to play, you're going to call, let him raise, let the field act. And and then uh, you, you have kind of a position on his action, you know. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Sometimes the best position on limit isn't really, is not, yeah, seemingly paradoxically, it's not the button. It's often where, like, you get more, you know, get more action in when people do, when people are more active, really. I mean, it can be in the blinds or whatever it is. Limit can have some yeah. some kind of strange results. Um, well, some people are like five times more active than anybody else. I mean, there are often, there are like occasionally the guys who, who you know, maybe they just do it um, like, uh, maybe it's the, the, the half hour that they do it that, they, they seem to have like a 90% raise uh, um, frequency, like free. And a good continuation frequency. That's like frequency. nice. Now, uh, that would seem really uh, good, but some people have a hard time playing against that. Yeah, uh, well, those people, those people like, uh, especially in Limit, means you need to work on something usually. Like, you need to work on. Uh, not you necessarily, but like anyone needs to work on dealing with aggression, I guess. Uh, yeah. It can be pretty tough in some, some games. Yeah, um, I think multi-way, you often have to adapt to, to how the table's playing. But by the way, uh, I, I think I uh, played with you in one of the, the first tournaments you played live, like in the Bahamas. I, oh, really? I think. Yeah, yeah. I think That's you... I think you, you already were legendary in terms of uh, your, your results, but uh, this was like, I don't know if you remember, I think it was, in, it probably was the, one of the PCA high rollers. I don't remember what year it was. I, but. I do remember, this must have been 2011, no, 2010 maybe, maybe 2011. I, I think it was Jerry. around that. I remember meeting you in the club. That's, that's, <laughs> Uh, kind of funny, and I didn't think you were the club guy, club kind of guy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I definitely uh, do less clubbing nowadays. All right. Well, me too. I um, 
Yeah, back then I did not know what the hell I was doing. That was like the first, yeah, as you said, it was the first live tournament I ever played. Uh, but someone well, told me, oh, I, 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 think. I think you might have had problems like holding, protecting the cards and your chips, but you were certainly, your, your reputation already preceded you in terms of uh, your uh, success online. So that, that was kind of weird because it, like everybody knew that uh, deep down you're a good player, uh, you know, uh, strategy-wise. I, I think uh, just naturally you showed some sort of awkwardness playing live. Yeah. And especially was, like a 50k tournament or what, <laughs> or whatever it was you you entered. Yeah. I, I, almost for sure I was awkward when I played. Um, shit, I forget what I was going to say. You actually did remind me of another situation where a toy game would be useful. It's actually useful for, for looking at crossbooks um, because people often you know, are thinking in their heads, like, it, when they're deciding to crossbook with each other, which means bet against, um, you know, bet one player bets against another player's performance at a table, and sometimes they think that uh, position matters. If you ha if the one player has position over the other at the table, that that can matter a lot. Um, right. That turns out to not be true if you actually go through the math of how that works. Um, as someone eventually figured out for for crossbooks and then all of a sudden now people just started crossbooking regardless of where you were at the table. That isn't, but by the way, that isn't necessarily true because it might be the case that it might be the case that depending on who the mark is at the table, if there's like a big mark there might, or if for some reason, like the opposite thing happens where there's a very good player and they have like a, like a parabolic edge or they give away a parabolic amount based on the positions then it can be the case um, that... What, what, what do the, you mean by just, parabolic amount? I'm just wondering. Well, what I mean is an amount that's um, like a lot more than than, uh, than it would be if the positions were a little bit different. So, for example, if the VIP is... You know, if you have direct position on the VIP, for some reason you're making six bets because you have direct position on them, but you're only making like two bets, you know, two positions less, two positions right. to the, to the yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, versus... depending on where the whale sits and how he plays, uh, it, it's definitely uh, different positions. Yeah. Definitely have different value. Yeah, so, about. yeah, yeah. So that can actually have an effect on the way that uh, cross-booking should be considered because, you know, if you're sitting across from the whale, uh, then you're not going to play that many pots with them and you're not going to have as big of an edge as whatever um, if you're right next to them or playing lots of pots and that can make results far more skewed. But in most cases, it doesn't really matter that much where, where the positions are. Um, probably most of the time, unless there's some kind of like dynamic that happens, but things there's some kind of dynamic that creates weird edges. Um, but... It's impossible to predict that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, right. I, was, I mean, it's also like, are you cross-booking for 2x or 10x? You know, if you're oh, cross-booking... Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's also <laughs> weird. Like, if you're the other players at the table, you've got to love the cross-book. It's kind of like when the other players have... When two other guys have a last longer, right? 
their equities are different than yours, right? Like, uh, like they might make plays to deliberately hurt the other guy, and 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 like since it's a total zero sum game, they have to give you some equity some of the time when they do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that stuff can really make games really strange. It's right. Not really ideal for the game, depending on what exactly yeah, is going on. Right. I mean, one of the things that's kind of uh, ethically like uh, not very good is the opposite. When you're backing somebody at the table and you're playing with them, I mean, that's that's a case uh, that you the other players don't want to be in because. You can obviously, even if he has no equity in what, what you're doing and, and plays straight up, you can throw equity to him, you know, by, by your yeah. plays. Like, there, there's there's some uh, hands, right, where it's pretty much zero equity, whether you call and let the player behind you call, or whether you raise and try to raise the, the other guy out. Um, like, there's probably, there's some hands in which that's a marginal play, and uh, obviously, if, if you want to throw the third guy equity, you call and make it easier for him to, to call behind and, and kind of chase his equity. Whereas, if you want to give the first player equity, uh, you, you, you raise the third player out, and like, if the first player has a good hand, you give him the option to raise again. So, I mean, it's, it's probably... Uh, I mean, there are situations where you, you have to decide between two plays, and both plays are probably neutral for you, but uh, swing equities to, to like one player or the other, and that, that, that's like an ethical like you know, quagmire, especially if you're backing someone. I do think there's kind of a decent amount of soft playing that happens as a result of that. I don't think people really deliberately try to mess with situations like that too much. It'd be really interesting to see what would happen if the poker world all of a sudden shared its shares of, like, who has what in those games, um, in all those, like, high-stakes tournaments especially. Right. There might be some interesting surprises. But, I mean, you do make a really interesting... Um, you bring up an interesting point, which is basically it, it probably shouldn't be ethical for people to have a large piece against... of people they're playing with in tournaments because like, it's impossible to prevent, prevent this kind of soft playing that you're referring to. It's just natural for you, like, if you're the tall stack, uh, to, like, even if you're kind of an ethical guy, it, it's hard for you not to, like, uh, you know, give your buddy a break. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. for sure. I, I mean, you, you, you're, you're not going to just call with the nuts. You, you're going to raise them. But in, in other situations, you, you, you go, well, this is a marginal raise or call situation. I'll just call. You know? uh, especially with ICM. Like, uh, <laughs> obviously. No, I think it's kind of impossible. Um, uh, it's yeah. very difficult to randomize in those spots and the right frequency. It's, uh, kind of alien. Um, yeah, it messes, it messes with your thinking. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is an ethical gray area, but I also think it happens with, like, pros who soft play each other. 
in like you know big ring games. Um, I could see that you sometimes. Know, there, there, there are a few big ring games in in, in Dublin, and um, yeah, I've, I've seen like I, I've seen it in Vegas too. I think it's it's kind of like Prisoner's Dilemma. It's kind of like you don't want to play really hard against the pro because uh, you're going to be playing at the same game uh, with, with him. Uh, and, like, it, it, you, you don't want him to just completely play hard-nosed against you when the situation reverses, which, like, you, you feel he's capable of it, you feel you're capable of it, so you don't play as hard as you can against each other, if that makes sense. You know, oh. I just thought about uh, it I, I, can be. It can work out that way. I think it depends on the situation, but yeah, I'm sure it, it happens. Um, I don't. I don't think it's always the case in cash games. I mean, it depends on the people for sure. Right. Uh, I definitely think it's really tournaments. I really see it. Or I really feel it. I should say. Um, let's talk about your uh, option. Your sports. The sports stuff that you're involved in with uh, Susquehanna. Intercontinental group. Um, yeah. Um, excuse me. So, I thought I was going to fuck that up. I've only looked at it like four times. <laughs> That's so fine. Uh, yeah. As, as yeah. I said, uh, I, I don't know if you uh, know about uh, Susquehanna or uh, Susquehanna International Group or, or SIG. I joined in 2003 and uh, you know, I was recruited by Jay Sipplestein when. I was uh, playing uh, when, when I was with this group, uh, Barge, and, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the managing partner, Jeff Yass, uh, just said, oh, yeah, you seem like you're good at poker, why don't you try playing the World Series, and uh, I'll, I'll give you the time, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you play it, and first year we... we uh, I, uh, first year I played it, um, you know, went with uh, Matt Harlenko. Uh, didn't do very much, cashed in a couple of tournaments. Played the next year, uh, and that, that's why I won the two events. So, uh, you know, kept playing it, kept having, like, reasonable success. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, SIG is... Uh, the biggest like market maker and options and we're in like all of the uh, financial products like we trade you know equities bonds currencies um, and you know all, all sorts of things like that um, and you know we're we're very like uh, math-based, model-based, but we also feel that the trader really has a lot of intuitions in, in the market. It, it's, it's basically, uh, we actually have a diagram where like uh, it's equal in three parts, uh, the trader, the uh, quant, developing the algorithms, and the software, uh, keeping everything uh, together and running. I mean, in some places, the software is uh, predominant, like in, in cases where latency matters and uh, things like that. The, uh, having really good software is, 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 is important. So, uh, 
uh, you know, in terms of sports betting, we, we think that this philosophy, uh, the reason we started the group was because we, we just thought that this philosophy applied to sports betting also. And um, that was the year before uh, the PASPA ruling by the Supreme Court allowing sports betting in like other states besides uh, Nevada. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically boomed like in about 30 states or more now. Really? Uh, oh, I think I, I did hear a bit about this. I didn't realize, I mean, I guess it's obvious it's going to boom after the legislation goes through. Right. It, it was actually kind of difficult because I think a lot of states were unfamiliar with it and states get to like uh, regulated uh, you know, state by state. Um, New Jersey is one of the uh, biggest states. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious because of, of its location and because of Atlantic City. So you now we uh, we uh, set up in Dublin. We're trading on uh, a lot of the major sports exchanges and you know, that matchbook, that uh, that. I don't know if you're familiar with these. Um, we're, we're trading on some books like Pinnacle. Uh, we're trying to partner with uh, different entities in the U.S. and we we definitely like are betting on American sports and uh, you know we're we're very like U.S. Uh, sports uh, focused and uh, you know we're, we're trying to apply the same principles, trying to build models and trade the games. It is a little bit more exciting, I think, than trading some financial products. Um, like, you know, you buy a stock, you, you hold on to it, you figure out when to trade in or out. But if you uh, buy the Eagles, you actually get to watch the game, and there's an endpoint, and, and the game settles, you know. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, maybe it's a lot more obvious than I thought. I don't know like a ton about sports betting, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of applying options to like sports betting, but I guess, I mean, it's a market, so I presume it's it a market just... and their models. Like, um, w w one of the things we specialize in is in-game trading. Um, and I think that's going to be like, uh, that that's going to be like a huge market and probably it might like be bigger than pregame trading which means like you know play by play say in football a play happens and there are markets and people get to buy and sell and trade uh it's usually on the money line which is like the winner of the game but i think it's pretty exciting uh because like in uh, football, for instance, uh, but 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 almost uh, every sport, the next play uh, could have a big bearing on, on the win probability. It could be a touchdown, it could be a pick six. In in basketball, there's so much scoring uh, that like with each score, like it, you it, you get a different win probability. So, um, you know, we specialize in uh, making the model and kind of just making markets when. When those things happen they get to make bets on the team as the game evolves and you can think of it as, like uh 
you know, I, I, I tend to think of uh, trading in the financial markets as, as, as bets uh, anyway. I mean, they're not necessarily buying shares of the team, but they're buying, you know, they're, they're uh, making bet like uh, if it's two to one, uh, they're making a bet that the team will win more than 33.3% of the time. Like that. Sure. sure. I yeah, mean, yeah. Their odds. Uh, if you look at the, well, any of the books, uh, you, you know, like uh, points bet, DraftKings, or uh, whatnot, you see that the odds evolve during the game, and uh, you, you you can often click on those odds and just make a bet. Okay. So, what is it that? Uh that uh, SIQ does that allows... SIG. SIG. Sorry. It's uh, all right. <laughs> I, I looked at it like five it's times and still can't get it right. SIG. I don't know why I keep getting dyslexic about it. But um, so what is it that they do that allows for so much liquidity to move into it and out of it? Like why, why is it that they're allowed to do this why is it that they're able to sustain this and not, you know, all these other books? Well, I, I mean, I just think it's just the, the amount of liquidity we, we have. We've been trading in financial markets since 1987, and we just have a bigger balance sheet. Like, uh, you know, sports betting is still uh, a small amount of our, uh, oh. certainly our risk compared to, like, options. Um, and, sure. and, and other parts of the business. So, so you're like, not worried that a, a lot someone of folks just... don't have very much balance sheet. And actually, we can help them out because uh, they might be taking bets that they're, they know are good, but they can't uh, kind of a, a, afford the risk. We, we, we hope to be kind of also the layoff place. Oh. Like, yeah. I mean, that would be a big deal. I'd be surprised if you guys are bigger than all the, uh, you know, the books. I know there's, um, there's Paul Foy's book. I forget what it's called. Uh, Tony Bloom's book. I mean, these guys are ultra rich. Uh, you guys. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly individuals can, 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 can have this, but, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the amounts of risk that they're willing to take, I mean, it, it does depend. On, on, on the book and uh, I think like uh, you, you know rich individuals are, are certainly willing to but uh, could be willing to take more risk but e- even somebody like Caesars or MGM you know they they, they, they have outside investors they don't necessarily want to, to, to take big risks that, that will like affect their earnings, you know. Sure, sure. I would think that, uh, I mean, isn't there still the possibility of someone just coming along and making a huge bet that really hurts you guys? Is that not like a thing? Like yeah, what can't yeah, that just I happen? Mean, that, that, that's that's, that's uh, possible. Like, um, well, it's, well, it's pretty well known we took a lot of risk during the last presidential election cycle. Um, you know, we, we we had like uh, close to half a billion at risk. Oh, that's the, pretty the election crazy. Turned out um, <laughs> the other way than we expected. 
a lot of the bets did happen a couple of weeks after election day, though. So, well, we it, can figure out. We, it we sounds like a dream situation for. Yeah, definitely now sounds like a dream situation for a lot of sports betters. I think I hope that sounds like big news. I had no idea. I was stumbling upon something pretty big. Um, as far as the the, the presidential bet goes, I, I don't. I think I'm out of that. I, I. It's a lot more complicated than I thought, and I was just like, I think I bet badly both times, and I got lucky once. Fortunately, I faded, getting crushed. Uh, which, which election did you win? I, I won the one where where Trump did not get elected. But oh, the I last played one. like yeah. two to one for some reason. That was so stupid. Like something like seventy percent. I like happened to win that bet. And the other bet, I bet that he would not get elected too at like fifty fifty. Someone told me, Oh yeah, it's for sure, bro, it's for sure he's not getting elected and of course he gets elected. And I feel like such a dumbass. Um yeah, uh, these things are a little bit more complicated than I thought. I uh, yeah, it's really difficult to do that without uh, looking at data. So, like our, our attitude is that we're we're data driven. Um, we, we we actually um, did look at elections and and returns. One of our big bets was on Brexit. Uh, really, like huh. the night of Brexit. So. Uh, well, the data doesn't lie. I mean, I also advocate looking at data. I mean, I, I do a bit of both, but I I look at the data and I also look at you know things the data isn't necessarily going to quantify, but it has to be all has to kind of mesh together so that yeah yeah I I, I mean elections are different than baseball, right? Like in baseball, they, they play so many games a year. You, you can see what happens like when a team's leading like. 3-1 in the fifth inning and things like that. And, but a, a lot of elections, uh, you, you, you kind of have to make some assumptions. And like an election like it only happens once every four years. And each of these elections are different. So, yeah. Last election was e even, like if you looked at just the returns, like them just counting the pure votes, it, it's very confusing. Like uh, <laughs> Biden was winning Ohio, and like Trump was winning several of the states that he eventually lost, just because of the order that they counted the votes. Oh, that's you know? so funny. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, the more so the more like rare the data gets, constantly changing. It seems like the harder it is to really draw conclusions, especially when you go into history and stuff. Although I personally found history to be interesting. Right, um, I mean, that, that, that's why it's interesting. Like, if uh, the teams played, like, a thousand identical football games each season, then, like, everybody could do the data analysis. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very difficult. Um, right, right. Yeah. It, it's like the small amount of data and like the plays like you can't even just look at the results of the plays because I, I think there's probably more information on that like whether a guy's playing well or not I mean um, so. it's a lot like poker in that way yeah yeah well if the, I mean if the truth was known that there'd be no game at all so maybe right. I'd view it as sort of a good thing I've got one last question for you uh, Bill 
Uh, what's the life of uh, being a quant? Because I'm reading your, I read your bio on uh, SIG. I got it right this time. And uh, it sounds kind of fun. I don't know. Is it, uh, would you recommend it to a handful of people? It sounds like, you know, not so bad. It sounded kind of like, yeah, they, they made it seem yeah, yeah. like kind of an adventure. I, 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 right. I, I was going to say that, yeah, I mean, it takes a certain personality to do it. I, I think if you like, like playing games, like analyzing them, like, like playing poker, um, and so I came from a background of like math competitions and all that. And I'm not saying you have to come from that, but the, the, like, like I did those as a kid, you know, the, 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 those were fun. I did pretty well on them. Uh, it, it's the idea of kind of, uh, making models and gaming. And if you have kind of a mind for like, uh, a math mind for like modeling, gaming, and uh, betting. I think I think it's could be the line of work for you. It's also fun. Um, like I think uh, in my career, I've been able to jump into all sorts of problems. And like for example, elections. Like how how do we model the returns uh, for Brexit? It was kind of interesting. We're gonna get these kind of rolling returns from these uh, precincts in, um, in, in, in the UK and how do we make sense of that and how do we predict the result as these results come in, you know. Um, I've, I've just had different modeling problems, uh, you know, modeling, a, uh, modeling like stock returns, um, you know, I can't really say much about that, but definitely uh, I, I've modeled like how to trade particular sectors, like the oil sector and things like that, uh, made options really? models, elections models, and, you know, uh, basketball models, so oh. it, 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 it's really been uh, kind of fun, it's been a great ride, yes. and you often see your work kind of put into practice, it's like, it is fun to see, oh, your model's being traded, and, like, it actually makes a bit of money. Yeah. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. cool. Let's see if some other company's using it, see if, uh, get it, give it some, if it return, makes some returns, I can see that being pretty cool. Um, right. Say working in real life. Uh, well, yeah, it does sound like, yeah, for certain people, yeah, it could be the right path. I don't think it's really the right path for me, but... I don't think it ever really was, but uh, not not mathy enough. Yeah, I, sure I mean, someone... it feels that for your personality, uh, like you're you're a poker player. You like playing instead of. Uh, I, I I mean, you're probably stronger at that uh, than than like uh, sitting in the back room doing the analysis. And uh, you know, uh, I think. Uh, you'd probably be closer to um, a trader in our, in our firm. And by the way, uh, nobody really sits in the back room and, and does analysis. We all like watch the trading and, and see, oh, like, see in practice how, how our strategies work. Um, yeah. That's why I would like, like working at, 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 at SIG. Um, a lot of the, like I think for other financial products, 
you can kind of take the black box approach uh, more. Uh, I, I know firms where the the trader isn't as important uh, as it, they, they would be in our firm, um, but I mean that's that's uh, their their attitude. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it works as well in sports trading. But, but, but that's why it's like fun to do sports trading. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it sounds like it could. I could see it being quite a bit of fun. Um, it, I personally, yeah, you're right. I would like to get in there and play. <laughs> it's a bit more personal, my personality. Anyway, like, uh, I, I, I mean, Chris Ferguson was sort of the same way. I mean, I actually um, when I when when I started playing poker, these ideas of like you 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 said we were one of the first books. You know, Jared and I were, were one of the first books published, but uh, I think, uh, you, you know, Chris gave me a lot of the same ideas. Um, he, he didn't want to publish a lot of the results. And, you know, um, I mean, we, we really did want to get the book out, but it was really hard work, especially for Jared. Like, I have to tell you, he, he did write most of the book, so... <laughs> Uh, well, Often, yeah, it's it's a lot very math heavy. It's uh, one of the harder reads that I've had to go through, but it's a decent amount of math that does apply to poker for those people that are curious and helps helps uh, to get the game helps to understand the game in a different kind of way, a true more truly analytical kind of way, and like more through a little bit of the lens of like a mathematician's background. At least from my understanding, it wasn't like deep math or anything. I've seen much harder stuff, but um. We're about out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about, Bill? Uh, I'm thinking. Probably not. Uh, oh, I should mention that uh, Jared's worked at our firm for a few years. Um, after he wrote the book, he went to uh, graduate school in Yale. He, uh, oh, really? Wow. Uh, and, and then, uh, and, 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 and then um, Cornell and... Uh, you know, he he got his uh, degree, and uh, he, you know he's been working for us for I don't know how many years actually. I, I kind of want to say it's been close to ten, but um, so we're both working on sports betting. Uh, okay, well I I didn't know that. Well, congrats to Jared. He's also, by the way, guys, he's the co-author. In case that wasn't super clear of the mathematics book, or apparently wrote most of the book. All right, thank you, Bill, for your time. All right, thank you.